Thanks for listening to the Imago Day podcast. If you live in the Portland area, we'd love to invite you into the life of our community. You can find out what's going on at idcpdx.com slash events or on social media at Imago Day PDX. not here yet so you got to listen to me today all right so um my name is Seth if, if we haven't met before and um like I said earlier it is an honor to be in community here um and it's an honor um to be in this role today of getting to unpack some scripture with you all um so this week we are in our second week of a series that we call Saving Justice. It's been a staple sermon series over the past decade here at Imago, and it's been a place where every year we remind ourselves that the call Jesus has given this community is one that is beyond just our own selves. All the things we talk about, think about, pray about, wonder about, what does it all look like lived out? This is the spot every year where we can make sure that we take time to enter into a rhythm that reminds us to ask this question. What does it all look like lived out? In the life of Imago, whether we say it explicitly um, and loud enough or often enough, we have five key practices that guide our, our time here, our invitations, our formation, how we think about what we say in the context of the faith community that we share here. And those five, um, those five key practices are hear and obey, celebration, vocation, hospitality, and generosity. It's our hope that as the people of Imago, these would be the anchors for us as a community and as individuals and families. When we think about who Imago is as a community, these are the five practices that we our elders, our staff are committed to keeping central to how we follow Jesus together. Um, I might be a little bit biased since my role, one of my roles here is pastor of justice and mercy. Um, but with that, I am largely in that role because I'm someone that believes there is a conversation to be had about justice and mercy in the context of every single one of those practices. Justice and mercy aren't everything by themselves, but I think there is something to wonder about and include in every single one of the practices that touches on God's desire for justice and mercy to be present in our community. We talk about it here at Imago, not as a box to just check off, but as an invitation to consider in all of the spaces of life that we've been led into and out of. The way of invitation of justice and mercy has been presented over the years since I've been here has literally changed the direction of my entire life. One fun thing about me um, is that this past, don't you love sweet little quotes like that? I hate when I go to a meeting, they're like, tell us one fun thing about you. Here's my one fun thing about me. Um, this past week was the seven year anniversary of my parenting journey. My kids landed in my life at different ages, and at the beginning, I didn't know how long we'd all stick together. It has been a bit of a mess in all of the best and not-so-best ways ever since, and I love them very much. As a side note, if you ever do see my kids around this place with me, just to clarify, please don't ask them about their story. 
it is really tough to grow up with parents who are in pastoral ministry. Um, and then it's, it's also even like more tough when people know weird parts of your life and then random people ask them what they think about it. Um, so please don't. When I first came here with my then spouse, we had imagined some things about how our life might turn out. But honestly, the community here at Imago in this place shaped the ways we saw our neighbors in a very transformative way that went far beyond what our imagination had capacity for wondering. To be clear, I'm not saying this. I'm not being like, I did it right and you should do this too. I have it all figured out. What I am saying is the power of Jesus working in this community completely brought me to places that I never dreamed of. And I don't mean that in a fairy tale sort of way. I mean it in a what is even ever happening around this place kind of way. Had I not been challenged to step into the practices that Jesus has led Imago into, my life would be incredibly different. I would not be standing here. I would not know my kids that I am lucky enough to be a dad to. I would not have the deep well of community that I know that I have right now. Everything would be different. When we lean into the invitation of Jesus, it has the ability to change everything. It can feel easy to say that, say that from a stage. Please know that I know it is not easy. It is not easy to uproot everything when we are asked to. It is not easy to choose love when everything is uprooted for you and completely out of your control. I know this for real. And even knowing the hellish, lonely, agonizing pain that this life can bring, I really do think it's worth it to live in the midst of Jesus' invitation to love regardless. I had a professor in Bible college who would make us memorize all sorts of arbitrary definitions all the time, and we would get quizzed on them every single day we would come into class. A whole list of things that he decided were the right way to interpret the Bible and to find things through his lens. Some of those things, when I look back on them, I'm like, I really respect you, but I do not think that's probably it. You're just making stuff up. But one of the definitions he gave us was a definition of love. I don't remember half of what I learned in those four years and thousands of dollars I'm still paying off in Bible college. But I do remember the definition of love that he made us memorize my freshman year. I wrote it in the front of my Bible and on like 10 different exams. Um, this, is, this is what he said the best definition of love was. The overwhelming concern for the well-being of another person without any regard as to what you'll receive in return. Which sounds a lot like Jesus, who talks about the greatest iteration of love, being willing to lay down your life for your friends, right? The overwhelming concern for the well-being of another person without any regard as to what you'll receive in return. So when I talk about living in and living out Jesus' invitation to love, that's one of the definitions of love that's rolling around my brain. When I think about what it means to follow Jesus in the context of our nation, our city, in my family, in this Imago community, I'm thinking, what does it mean to live with concern for the well-being of those around me without any regard as to what I'll receive in return? It doesn't mean that we're saving the world and everyone needs us or else they'll never be good enough. It means that there is a way to love 
that is not looking to get something else back. Something that is pure. That's not just checking off a good deed on a list. That's not just looking for another jewel in their crown. Certainly we have boundaries. We don't make room for abusive, fake versions of love. There's nuance and complexity behind every line I'm saying. I could talk through the complexity for hours, but you do not want that today. I think the crux of the best kind of love here on earth is the embodiment of Jesus' love that shows up again and again and again gets extended to the least of these, and wonders what we can learn from those we're seeking to love along the way. But we, at least I, struggle with that from time to time every single day. So to deal with that, we're going to look at some people in Scripture who were also bad so we can feel better about ourselves. (laughs) Today... We're going to dig into everyone's favorite, most familiar passage in Scripture, the book of Amos. Yeah, I know. I know. You guys are like, oh, let me tell you how I memorized the whole thing. At least um, it is one of my favorites. I really love Amos. It's super underrated. Um, And so I would love us to read this together out of Amos 5. Um, And by together, I mean I'll say it out loud, but you don't have to. Because it's really long. So this is Amos chapter 5. We're starting in verse 6. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth, he who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning. And darkens the night into day, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate. And they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate, Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Amos is going hard in the paint. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil and love good. Establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets they shall say, alas, alas, they shall call the farmers to mourning, and to wailing those who are skilled in lamentation, and in all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Dang. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? 
and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Yeah, that's good. So Amos, Amos is this prophet here. He's some sort of guy that hangs out with sheep. Maybe he is a little bit higher than a shepherd, but like middle management over the fields. There's certainly no sense that he's wealthy or well-to-do, and all of the prophets that we have before Amos, um, chronologically, are prophets to hear from God and speak to the people of God on, on his behalf as their job. So I was reading something that referred to these prophets that were before Amos as um, having been members of some kind of like prophetic guild, which sounds something like out of Harry Potter, I think. Um, but I have also never read or seen Harry Potter because I wasn't allowed to growing up, and I still don't because I just don't want to. So <laughs> these folks, this was their role. And Amos is just a guy who hangs out in the field. So Amos is not in the guild. This was not his job. No one is paying him to listen to God and go out and risk his life for God. It seems from the text surrounding what we read that something, the Spirit of God, compelled Amos to go to the people of God to set things straight about how they had been showing up to God and showing up with one another. There was injustice all over the place, a brokenness between people and God, a brokenness with people and their community. And Amos, a man from smelly fields of sheep and farms, is the one in this text that brings us to light. So I assume he must really believe in God and risking it all for the call of God because he literally gets nothing out of this. He cannot stand any longer for the injustice to continue, though. There were two issues going on that God used Amos to address the people of God to bring to light. These issues were fully linked together to one another. The poetry and prose in the book of Amos weave together these two things that go hand in hand. They are not separate. The people of God were, at this particular point in history, kind of doing all right for themselves. Their enemies were minimal, and, and their enemies were sort of defeatable, at least in their point of view. And in terms of wealth, they were not hurting anything like what they had in the past or what they would in the future. In this context, the people of God got pretty comfortable. The rich got richer while the poor stayed poor. And if those struggling financially wanted to figure out how to better provide for their families— they could not. The corruption was so rampant. People were being cut out of deals, taken advantage of, sold into servitude, and if you weren't in it with power and money, you had nothing. All of the laws from the decades and decades before about how to love and care for one another, how to care for the foreigners and sojourners among them, all of those laws, those ways of God were disregarded. 
And so the second issue linked up with this first one we just discussed is that the people of God are doing shady business, forgiving one another, getting richer while the poor stay poor. They think they're better than every other nation. As a reminder, I am talking about the Bible here in 1500 BC, in case you thought I was talking about our beautiful country. So all of this is happening, and then these folks have the audacity to show up with sacrifices and praise God. And God is finally like, yeah, no thanks. And Amos is not mincing words here. He's like, you better change things up real fast because the Lord God is coming for you people. In this passage we read today, Amos has God saying, I hate your feasts. I won't accept your offerings or sacrifices. And God is reminding his people what his plan for humanity is supposed to look like. It is not this. He is saying, you were not made to treat each other how you are acting right now and how you have been for years and years, and I am done. Your worship is just noise. Your offerings are worthless. You can't hoard it all for yourself. Treat those around you with hate and then show up and smile and act like we're all good because what is happening is not good. God calls for justice. In verse 7, um, in, in one version, he, God says, you have turned justice to wormwood, which is to say you've taken something that's supposed to be a process and practice for making things right and good, and you have made it bitter, disgusting, something worthy of being spit out. That's not it, folks. Instead, he is calling on these chosen people to live in a way that is different again. A way that they were first commissioned to live like. In verse 24, Amos tells the people that God has a better picture of justice in mind. A kind of justice that does, in fact, make things good and right. Between people and God, and people and one another. A way that uplifts the poor and makes space for the newcomer. That sees themselves accurately in their own community, but also in the global community as they knew it. When Amos is writing this, the idea of justice to a Jewish audience would have been both personal and systemic. The way of God and justice would be that society and personal relationships were set up and functioned and leaned into the way of justice, ensuring that there was a way and a place for all. Verse 24 says, Let justice roll down like waters. Righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I was struck as I was rereading through this passage over the last week that the idea of rolling water in the Hebrew that is written is, is that there's no end to it. It's not a box to check off. It's not like a project to complete. It's not a person to save. This idea of justice being like rolling water is a way of life, a way of love. One that ensures that the most forgotten and marginalized and mistreated know that there's a a place for them too. And I'd go so far as to say that the pictures we get of God's justice and mercy seem to go so far as to actually favor those who have been pushed aside while the rich and the powerful have their way with the world. Friends, the parallels here are uncanny. And for me, it's unsettling. There is a lot to be convicted of in the story that Amos tells that we do not often talk about. I am really grateful for this story, for how rich it is and how gentle God is 
and inviting me, at least, into this truth over and over and over again. I think also inviting this community into it over and over and over again. God can somehow be so harsh and so kind all at once here. I love this verse 24 that we just talked about. I love it so much that um, I got a tattoo six years ago to remind myself that this is the vocation that God has invited me into. That's the, I took it last night on my phone. That's why it's blurry. Sorry. <clears throat> but um, I, it's a reminder to me that I have been invited into the story of justice that is like rolling water, of walking hand in hand with Jesus while his kingdom comes to this earth. When I got this tattoo, I was about a year into fostering, and I was a few years into working with and learning from and sharing life with uh, folks that were new to the United States through refugee resettlement. There was a lot of intensity all over and a lot of beauty all over. And there's still a lot of intensity and beauty all over my life and all over the lives of each of us and everyone we get to share a city and a neighborhood with. But we can't ignore the intensity because it's too much. We also can't ignore the beauty even when the intensity feels so overwhelming. It's both. And the ability to see both and hold both, even when it's hard, is something I believe brings us into a place where we have to partner with God in worship and action. When we're invited into relationships with one another, we cannot just remain at surface level. The beauty and the intensity and the Jesus in the community, all of that changes us. Sometimes it's easier to show up and sing the songs and do our devotions than it is to engage in what's happening around us. We might ourselves have something to offer hand in hand with Jesus to make things more like they're supposed to be in the face of those things happening around us. One of my mentors, her name is Tracy, she says to me often and has for many years, she has said, the world needs what your heart has to offer. And that's true of me and everyone I offer my heart to. That's true of you and everyone you offer your heart to. It is this beautiful space of community that we get to follow Jesus into. One of the things I know that many folks are overwhelmed with is what happens in our country right now to migrants, asylum seekers, and refugees. It feels like too much to see that hundreds of migrants are left on the streets of New York to sleep at night. It feels like too much to hear that in our own city, asylum seekers might be given shelter for a few weeks, and then it's off to who knows where while who knows what happens to them. Like hundreds of folks here in our own city. There are people with refugee status showing up here, after years of a long process of literally fleeing for their lives. Folks who are running from genocide, like trying not to lose more of their children and family to senseless, unstoppable violence. And they're shoved into completely inadequate housing, sent to jobs that are completely bonkers for literally anyone to have to work and figure out. And in the midst of that, just this one example, our stories have the potential to intersect. When I was in grad school, I had a project where I was, supposed to, um, I was supposed to interview somebody who was in the refugee community. And so I called up this resettlement agency here in town, and I said, hey, I need to write this paper. Can I talk to somebody about it? 
and they were like, this is not a petting zoo. Like, that's not how this works, right? Like, you can't just do that. But they were like, but here's what you could do. You could volunteer for the next year to be like a mentor for a family. And because I have poor boundaries and not good decision-making skills sometimes, I was like, okay. Um, and then they said, cool, meet us at the airport in two days. And so I did. At 10 p.m. in the Portland airport, I met Mama L and her two kids. Neither of us shared a language. N they had never seen an escalator before. Um, and they were very freaked out of it, which as I tried to look at it through their eyes, I was like, actually, that does look super creepy. Like, where does it go and will it take me with it? I don't know. We took the elevator that day. Um, and I remember standing at the luggage carousel downstairs and um, just like trying to be helpful since I couldn't talk about anything. I was like, I'll make sure I get the luggage at least, right? And so I'm looking, I'm seeing where they're looking. They point to a bag. I grab it. I hold it like, I'm so proud of myself. I'm so helpful. Um, they point to another bag. I grab it, and I'm like, wow, now I'm really helpful. And I keep standing there, and I'm looking for more bags. Um, and the caseworker who is who does speak the same language as these new friends was like, what are you waiting for? And I was like, I'm being helpful. There's more bags. And she's like, that's it, man. Come on. And my heart was like, what? Like, I went to the coast last week, and I brought three bags. Um, also, I'm really concerned when I go anywhere that I'm going to need, like, 15 pairs of, like, underwear and socks for some reason. I don't know. Um, but I had, I had more for two days than they had for their whole life, their brand new life. And over the next year, we became friends. I would show up with pizza. They would tell me, this is disgusting. I would agree with them. I'd come back. They would feed me fish with the eyes still in it. I would feel like it was disgusting, but I wouldn't say it out loud because I was trying to be a good person. And then I wasn't, and they heard me in the bathroom later. Um, <laughs> and we, we began to get to know one another. We began to learn words in each other's language. We spent a lot of time playing dominoes in Uno. I would go to meetings with them at school. I would call doctors when I felt like they weren't being treated how they wanted to. I would demand that they could get interpreters so they could actually stand up for themselves and not just have a random white guy doing it for them. Like, all of these things. And in the process, they were like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't have so much stuff, Seth. Maybe you don't need three bags when you go to the coast for the week. Maybe you don't need all of the things that you think that you need. Maybe living in community and following God is enough, and you're trying to fill yourself in all these other ways. Like, they weren't directly saying that to me, but they were with their eyes every time I did anything. <laughs> like, I knew what they were saying, and they knew what they were saying. And we grew in community with one another. We both had something to offer one another in a way that changed us for real. I showed up with a yes, and God invited me and keeps inviting me into more than I had imagined. And I wonder today what we as individuals and as a community are allowing God to invite us into. 
Maybe for some of us today, it's a moment of pausing long enough to be convicted by the words we read in Amos. I'm certain that God is not in the business of shaming us. Shame being like, you did this, so you're bad. But I am certain God is in the business of inviting us into better ways of living. I don't think that the Holy Spirit is afraid to work some conviction in our hearts when it comes to the things that we often ignore and push aside and pretend are fine when they are not. I am certain that the Holy Spirit is not afraid of inviting us into better and more yeses. To participate in what God is doing in the story of justice he is telling in this city. I believe that God is inviting us each into a place where worship isn't something we do just to feel fine about ourselves. And justice is not just a trendy thing to post about or participate in so we make sure we're the right kind of people like I have done for much of my life. True worship and true justice are the invitation today. It is intense and it is beautiful. It's not simple. But it's also maybe not quite as complex as we pretend it is, so we don't have to deal with it sometimes. So we're going to take a few moments of quiet. Our worship team is going to make their way back up. And in the quiet, I'd love for you to just first consider what is it that God has given you that your heart has to offer this community? And I wonder, what would it be like to share that in a way that you maybe haven't already considered or maybe followed through with that would be life-giving and love-extending to the neighbors that we share here in our city? Maybe your heart has something to offer to those who are without homes, to those in marginalized communities, those in foster care, migrants, newcomers, maybe specifically those that you have tried to ignore the most because it's just too much. Maybe the invitation of Jesus today is to extend your heart to those folks, to join in a story of justice that is beyond anything you can imagine on your own because Jesus is looking at this community and saying, I have so much more for you, Mago." so much more for you, Amago. There are beautiful things ahead as we walk hand in hand toward that better picture of justice where it is flowing like rolling waters that do not stop. I think that's the invitation for us today. And we get to participate in, in any of that story because of who Jesus is. We get to participate in the story of justice because of the story of Jesus' love. That once things in this world started going wrong, in the book of Genesis, that there was a plan all the way through for God to bring folks back to himself and for, for God to bring folks back into a better, more loving, just community with one another. 
That's through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so when we have this conversation about justice, it cannot be divorced from the love and invitation of Jesus' grace and mercy. Today, I would ask that when you come forward, when you take a piece of bread, when you drink this cup of juice, that you would remember the blood and the body that Jesus gave on our behalf so that we might be able to walk without shame into the story that he has for us, where we might be able to say, because of Jesus, I have something to bring into this world with him. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot do it without Jesus. We cannot do it with each other. So let's not. Jesus, we thank you for your gift, your gift of life, of death and resurrection. We thank you for the gift of community here with one another and that we get to unpack all of these messy things together. God, I pray that today in this time of reflection and communion that we would be shaped by your love and your mercy. That because of your kindness, your love, your mercy, your conviction, that we would be more of who you always dreamed we would be when you first came up with us in your wild imagination. We love you so much, Jesus. And so it is in your name that we pray all of these things confidently. Amen. The table is open.